Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, good morning, Cross Lane, and uh, let's see if I can remember how to do this after three weeks off. What do you say? Um, I want to thank uh, Roro for speaking for me on that first weekend, and uh, surely want to thank Ryan for two weeks of talking about bees. It's always interesting for me to hear him talk about that. I have not heard those sermons yet. Rest assured, I will uh, go back and listen to him. I want to hear what he had to say. I heard it was really good. Um, you know, I, I got a three-week vacation, and I, I just would tell you that coming into that vacation, I'm not the kind of person who comes into vacation thinking, man, I just really, really need a vacation. I didn't feel that way. I don't feel that way now. <laughs> um, had a nice visit with a lot of people that I would needed to get in touch with and see and got to do a little camping, so... Uh, it was all good for me. I, uh, I appreciate the fact that I am able to do that in October and that you understand that I can take a little extended time away. So uh, just uh, love you, have missed you, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to re re resuming our series up and to the right. This is week four of this particular series, and uh, today you'll see in just a few minutes what the topic's going to be. You know, growing up, uh, I went to a church that referred to people like me as a minister. That's the word that they would use, minister. But the older I got and the more I came to learn about the Bible and the different words in the Bible and what they meant and how they were applied, uh, the more I came to see that pastor really was the better word to be uh, applied to someone like me. Now, if you grew up calling a pastor a minister, um, it's not the end of the world if you keep doing that. Nobody, I'm certainly not going to correct you if you do that. I'm just telling you that from a purely technical standpoint, there is a bit of a difference between a minister and a pastor. Uh, to be fair, a minister uh, is, is what we all are, and a pastor is what some of us are. A, a pastor gets to be a little bit more specific. So if you're a Christ follower, you are called to serve. doesn't matter... Um, who you are, how old you are, what gender or race you are, uh, as a, a follower of Jesus, to be a minister is to be a servant, and to be a servant is to be a minister. And so the words serve and minister are the same word in the Bible. And the Bible says that every believer is a minister. Now, now we all minister in different ways. We minister according to our gifts, but anytime we help somebody else in Jesus' name, we are being a minister. We are serving. There are all different kinds of service and all different kinds of ministries, but there is one ministry that we all have in common, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the ministry of mercy, the ministry of mercy. God wants you and me to be agents of mercy in the world. Um, there, there's just really not enough mercy in the world today. God, God uh, wants you to be a provider, and he wants you to be an agent of mercy in the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In other words, you get back what you put in. What, whatever you give out, that comes back to you. When you give, you're going to get. Uh, we need to learn to be a minister of mercy. So what is mercy? Usually when we think about mercy, we think about two uh, different uh, ideas. We think about forgiving people who don't deserve it. You know, we think mercy and we, we think to ourselves, well, that's forgiving people who don't deserve it. And then we think that we're helping people who can't help themselves. We think of that as mercy. 
But mercy, which is also a part of God's character, is so much more than those two things as we're going to discover this morning. Mercy is very much like a diamond. It is multifaceted. When you spin it, you see all these different uh, facets to it, and they all, they all have different um, character qualities and things like that. So uh, we're going to look at today, in just a few minutes, the seven facets of mercy. Um, seven ways that you can transform your relationships, because I can promise you this, if you learn how to be an agent of mercy, it is going to change your work relationships, it is going to change your marriage, it's going to change the relationship that you have with your children, it's going to change the relationships you have with, with your friends, your, your co-workers, if you're a boss, it's going to change the relationship you have with the people who work for you, and so it's important that we learn how to be uh, an agent of mercy. But before we look at that, how do you practice mercy in relationships? Let's, let's ask the question, why? Um, why in the world would I be merciful? By the way of introduction, let's start with these four. And the reason that we need to show mercy, number one is, God has shown mercy to me. God's shown mercy to me. Scripture says that God is merciful. It is emphasized Throughout the scriptures, there are hundreds of passages that talk about God's mercy and God's love and God's grace. I just want to show you a couple of those to get started this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved." So God showed his mercy to us, and the point is, God wants us to act in the same way toward others that he has acted toward us. He wants me to pass on the mercy that he has given me. Matthew chapter 18, verse 33, this comes out of the New Living Translation. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Jesus is, is telling a story here, and uh, it's about an unmerciful employee. And, uh, he, you know, this unmerciful employee owes his boss a large sum of money. And he goes to the, the boss, and, he, and, and the boss looks at him and says, hey, I'm going to show mercy on you, and we're going to wipe the slate clean, and you're not going to owe me anything, and we'll just, we'll just say that we're even. And the guy can't believe it. He's been forgiven this massive debt. But then he goes out, and there are some people that owe him some money, and not nearly on the same scale and not nearly the same sum of money that he owed this other guy. And he starts grabbing these people by the throat and pinning them up against the wall, and he says, you pay me now or I'm going to have you thrown in prison. Well, the boss that had forgiven him hears about what this man is doing, and he goes to the guy and he says, what are you doing? I, I was merciful to you. And you're not merciful to the people around you? You're a, you're a wicked guy. And he has him thrown in prison. And so God says, if I show you mercy, I expect you to show that same mercy to other people. God has shown me mercy. The, the second reason that I should be merciful is God commands me to be merciful. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you so whatever comes next out of God's mouth is good and, re and is required of you and here's what is required of you he says three things to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God if you want to summarize really what life is all about 
this is really, God would say, this is where it's at. Uh, if you're going to be my family, if you're going to be my child, if you're going to follow me, you need to do right by others. You've got to love what's merciful, and you've got to live humbly in fellowship with me. Let, me. let me just say something this morning that I think might shock you, and, and it is this. God says that being merciful is more important than worship. And you go, what? That's exactly what I said. God says that you being merciful to other people is actually more important than worship. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God says, I want, I want your sacrifices, but what I really want is for you to be merciful. That's really more important to me. This is a verse in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and it is so important that Jesus uses it two more times as he teaches uh, in the New Testament. He will quote this passage two different times in his ministry in totally unrelated situations in debates with the Pharisees, and we'll see those in just a few minutes. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible, so I think we better look at it again. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God would say, I prefer a flexible heart over an inflexible ritual. God isn't all that impressed by somebody who comes in here and, and sings and praises and gives their money and then goes out and treats everybody else like dirt. If you come to church and you're devout and you pray and, and you're holy, but you go home and you treat your wife or you go home and you treat your husband or you treat your kids or you treat your brother or sister or aunts, uncles, or, or whatever, if you treat them, your employees, your employer, if you treat them hatefully, Jesus says, if you don't treat people with mercy, you've missed the whole point. So the third reason that I have mercy, number three, I will need more mercy in the future. Scripture tells us that we cannot receive what we are unwilling to give. James chapter 2, verse 13. You must show mercy to others, or God will not show mercy to you. But the person who shows mercy can stand without fear at the judgment. Don't you want to be able to do that? Don't you want to be able to stand one day in judgment before God and hold your head high and stand there without fear, knowing that when it came to this idea of mercy, you were a full participant? You did everything you could. You, you looked for people to be kind to. You looked for people to help. It says the person who shows mercy can stand without fear at the judgment. The fourth reason that I want to show mercy is showing mercy brings happiness. Showing mercy brings happiness. Scripture teaches over and over, the more merciful I am, the happier I'm going to be. Remember when we started this, this study on the Beatitudes, we, we talked about the word blessed, and that word is makarios, and we said that the word makarios means blessed, but it, it's, a, it's just another way to say happy. You'll be happy if you do these things. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21 says, if you want to be happy, be kind to those in need. It is a sin to despise anyone. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17 says, A merciful person helps himself, but a cruel person hurts himself. See, you help yourself 
when you're being merciful. This verse in the Living Bible is beautiful. It says it like this. Your own soul is nourished when you show mercy. I like that. Your own soul is nourished when you show mercy. So those are the four reasons that we show mercy. God has shown me mercy. God commands me to be merciful. I will need mercy in the future. And mercy brings happiness. This is an important quality. This is something that I need to build into my life as a Jesus follower. So how do I do that? How do I be merciful? Well, I want to give you uh, seven ways that we can do that. Let's go through these real quick. Number one, be patient with other people's quirks. Be patient with other people's quirks. Now, don't look at them right now, okay? They may be sitting right next to you, uh, but their idiosyncrasies, their, um, their peculiarities, their annoying habits, those things that they do that drive you crazy, show mercy. Don't get irritated. Don't get angry. Don't get uptight at people's unusual and personal quirks. We've all got them. You've got them. I've got them. And we've got to figure out a way to be patient with one another with the things that drive us nuts about each other. They don't do it on purpose. They're not, they don't wake up in the morning thinking to themselves, I'm going to really get under their skin today. That's not what they think, okay? They don't know they're doing it. We just have to be patient. We have to show a little kindness. We have to show some mercy. When you control your anger, and when you refuse to get upset, you are showing mercy. Uh, I, want, I want to give you maybe the most important marriage advice that you will ever get in your life, and it comes, as you might imagine, from Scripture. It's in the next verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I would circle that phrase, making allowance for each other's faults. See, you married a sinner, guys. You married a sinner. And she married a bigger one. <laughs> Two imperfect people cannot make a perfect marriage. You have faults. Your spouse has faults. A great marriage is really nothing more than the union between two great forgivers. You show me a great marriage, I will show you two people who have figured out how to forgive one another. Because they're going to get on each other's nerves. They're going to do things that hurt one another. They're going to they're mess up from time to time. And the marriages that make it are the marriages that are able to find forgiveness one for another. The number one place you need to show mercy is at home. Why? Because you see each other's faults far more than anybody else does. Show mercy. Here's what you learn if you're me and you do marriage counseling. Marriages don't usually die because of one catastrophic event. What you discover is that marriages die by a thousand cuts. Marriages die because of a bunch of little things that over time get compounded and add up and create difficulties. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. James chapter 2 says it like this, the man who makes no allowances for others will find none made for him. Show mercy. I, I really, really want to do that. How do I get more patience? How do I get more patience with my kids? How do I get more patience with my dad? How do I get more patience with my brother or my sister? How do I get more patience with that guy that's in front of me that just cut me off and I think he's a complete and total idiot? How do I get more patience? One word, wisdom. Wisdom. The wiser you get, the more patient 
you will be. That is what James chapter 3 says. He says in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy. So the wiser you get, the more merciful you will become. Many people who think they're wise aren't. Really what they are is they're just pompous they're pompous. <laughs> they're, they're just pompous. You thought I was going to say something else. If you're not peace-loving, you're not wise. If you're not gentle, you're not wise. If you're not willing to yield, you are not wise. The wiser I become, the more patient I will become. The more merciful I will become, the more kind I will become. The more unbending, the more angry, the more upset I get, the more foolish I am. Be patient with people's quirks. Number two, help anyone hurting around me. There are hurting people all around you, but too often we are too busy to see those people. We get in such a hurry, we get so focused on what we're doing, that oftentimes we're not paying attention to the people who have needs. We're not paying attention to the possibility that I might be able to extend mercy to somebody else. See, here's the thing. If you care, you will be aware. If you care, you will be aware. Jesus taught this in the story of the Good Samaritan. A guy comes to Jesus one day and he says, what is the most important commandment? What's the bottom line? Let's just get right to it. Jesus, tell me, what matters most? And Jesus says, oh, it's, it's really easy. Actually, it's two things. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then it's also to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's, that's really the whole Bible in a nutshell. If you want to summarize the Bible in one passage that would be it love the lord your god with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself and this guy wants to get out of this so he asks a question he thinks he's asking a really smart question he thinks he's tripping jesus up he says so who is my neighbor and jesus says well let me tell you a story and he tells the famous story of the good samaritan who is traveling down the road of jericho and he is accosted and he is beaten up, he is left for dead, he is on the side of the road, he's, he's fighting for his life pretty much. And as Jesus tells this story, three people encounter him, two of them pass him right by, one of them is a clergy member. And, and it's the third guy who comes along, who is from a different race, who is from a different culture. And he stops and he helps him, he nurses him back to health, he puts him on his donkey, he takes him to a hotel, he checks him in, he pays the bill, he looks at the guy behind the counter and he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to pay for this now, and, and if you just look after him, I'm going to come back through here in a little bit, and if I owe anything, if you've incurred any extra expenses, I'll settle up with you at that time, just take care of this guy. And Jesus looks at this guy and asks the question, who do you think out of the three was the neighbor and the you know the man that's been asking these questions of Jesus really has no recourse other than to say well the one who showed mercy see you cannot love your neighbor as yourself without being merciful proverbs chapter 3 verse 27 says whenever you possibly can do good to those who need it see you got to look for it it's not going to jump out of the bushes and, and put itself right in front of you. Sometimes you've got to be looking for opportunities to be merciful. A lot of people don't want you to know that they're in need. A lot of people don't want you to, to notice that they, they have something going on that might require your attention. 
Now, I'm just telling you, after this week and after you hearing this message, God is going to put people in your life and in your path that need your mercy. They're going to have a need, and you're going to be able to help with it, but you're going to have to be on the lookout for those people. You've got to be looking for it. Just let me say this. God won't simply be watching to see if you do the act of mercy. What God's going to be paying attention to is what's the state of your heart as you do it. What's going through? What's your attitude? Are you doing it like, boy, I hope God's watching me do this thing. I really don't want to do it, but I'm going to get my points with God, and so I'm going to do this mercy thing, or, which is really, that's competence, as we've talked about before. That's just competence. Or are you doing it out of communion? Are you doing it with an attitude that says, I want to serve my, my Savior, and I want to serve those who, who, that he loves, and, and this person needs some help, this person needs ministry, and this person needs mercy, and I'm thankful that I'm the one that gets to do it. See, God's going to be paying attention to the attitude you have, not just the fact that you're doing it. Romans chapter 12, verse 8 says this, when you do acts of mercy with cheerfulness, see, this, is, this isn't a grin and bear it thing, this isn't doing it begrudgingly, this isn't, you know, boy, I hope God's watching me go out of my way to do this thing for somebody else. The, the message version of this passage says it like this. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. That's good. Keep a smile on your face. That, friends, is mercy. Mercy is being patient with people, and it's being patient with people and helping them with their hurts. A, a third way that, that God shows that you can show mercy this week is give people a second chance. Everybody needs that. Everybody has fallen. Everybody's made mistakes. Especially those of you who have been hurt, you need to forgive. Now, that is not normal, is it? Now, normally, when somebody hurts us, we want to do one of two things. We either want to get even, or we just want to write them off. We, we want to get them back, or we want to forget about them altogether. Somebody hurts us, we don't want to forgive, we don't want to give a second chance, we don't want to do any of that. That guy at work messed me up, he put me down in front of my coworkers. We want to get back at him, or we want to write him off. But here's what Ephesians 4 says. And I'm just, can I just say this before I read anything else? When you sign up to be a Christian, when you decide you're going to try to follow Jesus, and I've said this many times before, you are signing up for the hardest job you've ever tried to do. It, it, following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. The things we're talking about today, showing mercy to people who haven't been kind to you, that is not easy. Look at what Ephesians 4 says. Don't get bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or ever be rude. Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. I want you to notice in that verse, Paul contrasts mercy with about five or six negative responses. He says, don't get bitter, don't get angry, don't use curse words, don't yell, don't be rude. Do you see why mercy is so important? Because that is what our world is full of. You turn on your television, you get on social media, that's all you see is bitter, angry, curse words, yell, rudeness. You go to the grocery store, you watch people driving next to each other. We are more and more becoming a culture of people where that's what you see. Bitterness, anger, curse words, yelling, rudeness, intolerance. 
If you're on your phone looking at social media, I guarantee you, you are encountering this on a regular basis. The people you work with probably have this in spades. This is how the world responds. How, how would you rate yourself on mercy? Are you kind and merciful, forgiving others just as God forgave you in Christ? Or are you bitter? Are you angry? Are you cussing all the time? Are you, are you chewing people out? Are you shaking your fist? Are you rude? How would you rate yourself when it comes to mercy? A church can be known for a lot of things. Church can be known for its size. It can be known for its music. It can be known for its, its building. I want Cross Lane to be known as the church of mercy. I want people, when they hear about Cross Lane, I want people to think to themselves, oh, that's where they give second chances. That's where you can go and they'll love you. doesn't matter what you've done. They're merciful at Cross Lane. That's, that's the church that gives you another chance. Number four, do good to those who hurt me. Mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. That's what God did with you. God didn't give you what you deserve. God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. If I got what I deserve from God, you would have a different preacher this morning, right? I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't even be alive. I say this all the time, but it's really true. Hurt people hurt people. The, the people that have been hurt oftentimes are looking to hurt somebody else. I recently discovered a piece of music that I want to recommend to you. If you were to go out on YouTube and you were to just search in the YouTube box, Travis Meadows, and, and he he's, sings, sings a song called Sideways. If you were to just go search Travis Meadows Sideways, I, it's just beautiful music to me. I've gone out several times in the last couple of months and listened to him sing that song. It's beautiful to me. It's kind of sad. Um, but you would hear him perform this song. And I just want to read to you the second verse of that song because it perfectly captures what I'm talking about when I talk about people hurting people, hurting other people. He says, I have days where it's just nose above the water. Keep it together while I fall apart. I have moments when I act just like my father, the only man who ever broke my heart. And it comes out in my silence, sometimes unwanted tears comes out disguised as anger, but it's really fear. There are so many people that you encounter on a daily basis that fit that mold. They manifest anger and hatred and rage, but they're really hurt and they're afraid and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to respond and, and they're frustrated and they, and they take it out on other people. Maybe they take it out on you. God says, hey, you absorb that. You absorb that. Don't try to get back at them. That what they need more than anything, they need massive doses of love. They need massive doses of forgiveness. They need mercy. They need somebody who understands, somebody who will not hate them back, somebody who won't return in kind. They need somebody who will say, you know what, I understand you've been hurt, and I'm here to love you. Who has hurt you most in life? They need your mercy. Who has hurt you most recently? They need your mercy. Luke chapter 6 says this, but love your enemies. This is Jesus talking. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Now he's talking about your enemies. 
Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Number five, how to be merciful is be kind to those who offend me. First of all, I want to repeat what I say often at Cross Lane. I've said it from the stage. I say it in conversations all the time. But Christians should be the hardest people in the world to offend. Humility, if you're pursuing humility, should lead you to a place where it becomes more and more difficult to offend you. But what I have found is that Christians are some of the most easily offended people in the, in the world. And what that tells me is they're really not in pursuit of humility. They have not likened themselves unto Jesus, who was the most humble person that ever lived. See, when you're humble, you don't think so much of yourself that, that you even can be offended. The more humble you are, the harder it should be to offend you. You have probably noticed that the verbal attacks on Christians are going up in society. You can expect that to increase in the years to come. That is not going to get better. That is going to get worse. There are a lot of people right now pushing anti-Christian, anti-church agendas today. You see that, that, that what they don't like is that God's word holds up some of their agendas. It, it, it keeps them back. And, and a secular world does not like some, anything getting in their way. And sometimes God gets in the way. Peter said we must obey God, not men. And so these attacks are going to continue. What are you supposed to do? With these people who, who can be so offensive, who can say things that are you know, sometimes really vile and really just not kind at all. We're to be kind to those people. We're to be merciful to those people. Now again, <laughs> I'll say it again. Following Jesus is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do because I don't want to be nice to those people. I don't like to be insulted. I don't like for people to say things bad about me or to say things bad about my God or my Savior. See, today we're in a culture war, and we as believers have a decision to make. We have to decide if we are going to win the war or if we're going to win them to Jesus. And I can just tell you, you're not going to win them to Jesus by returning in kind what they've given to you. The only way you can win them, first you have to win them as a friend, then you can win them to Jesus. But if all you ever do is exchange barbs and exchange blows and return in kind, you're never going to make the progress that you need. You can't make your point by being cross. You have to be more interested in winning them to Christ than you are in winning the argument. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, this is, this is Paul writing, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was shown mercy, listen to this, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If you had lived in Paul's day, you would likely not have been very interested in being kind to the Apostle Paul. He was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in jail. He was going out, rounding them up, hoping to bring them back to, to Jerusalem and have them eventually killed. And he said, I, I was shown mercy so that I could come to Christ and my life could be an example to other people. 
In Jude chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Show mercy to those who have doubts. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Show mercy to them while being careful that you are not contaminated by their sins. So uh, we, we need to avoid their sin, but we need to be merciful to everybody. We need to love everybody. Now, I'm going to give you two more, and then we'll be done. And these last two, you should probably not, co- you, you, you probably wouldn't consider these acts of mercy. But, but Jesus thought they were, and it's, again, he quotes Hosea 6, verse 6, that passage we looked at earlier, when he said, and he says, the reason that you don't get this is because you don't understand the full meaning of mercy. So let's do two more. Number six, build bridges of love to the unpopular. Build bridges of love to the unpopular. There are people in your circle, there are people who live on your street, there are people that you know that nobody else wants to hang out with. They don't have many friends. Not a lot of people are taking them to dinner. People you work with, people at work that tell jokes about these people behind their back. They they may have a quirk. They may have a different lifestyle. They may have a weird hair color. They may dress differently. they They may have a different belief system. They are not the in crowd. They are not the cool people. They aren't popular. They are the outcast. Building a bridge to the unpopular Building a bridge of love to the unpopular is premeditated mercy. It involves intentionally building friendships with people who don't have friends, people who who might be unbelievers, people who are not necessarily accepted socially in our world. When I was in junior high school, there was a a boy there named Roger. And um, Roger was just different. He was weak. Um, he, you know, he kept his head down. He wouldn't make eye contact with anybody. Um, he didn't dress cool. There was nothing cool about Roger. In fact, you, you, a lot of, if, you didn't, if, if they weren't making fun of Roger, they were looking right past Roger. They were looking right through him. Nobody paid him any attention. Uh, he ate by himself in the, in the cafeteria. He stayed to himself. He, he ate alone at lunch. He was sat alone in every class. Nobody spoke to him. Nobody helped him. He was the kid that, you know, the cool kids would knock his books out of his hand just to watch him scurry to pick them up, and, and he would n- never think about fighting back or, or, or even looking at the people who had mistreated him. And, and I just, I, I watched that long enough, and I, I couldn't take it anymore, and I, I watched him go through his days in silence, and I watched him go through the days with no friends, and I decided, you know what, I cannot let that happen. Nobody talked to him unless they were making fun of him. He would just lower his head and he would take it. And so I started talking to Roger. And I started to sit with Roger during Bibles or during a study hall. And we would, we would do our homework uh, together. And, you know, we weren't talking, but just the fact that somebody was sitting with him, it just made him, you could tell, it made him feel better. I started to eat lunch with Roger. I, I sat next to Roger in, in music class. I tried to help him in P.E. He was, he was so pitiful in P.E. Often he didn't understand the rules of whatever we were doing or he didn't understand how to do it and nobody was willing to show him. And so I tried to be the one that, that stood next to Roger to help him out. See, becoming a friend is an act of premeditated mercy. Matthew chapter 9 says this, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now tax collectors 
uh, in Jesus' day were notorious sinners because they took advantage of their, their Jewish brothers and sisters. They collected taxes for Rome, and they would often gouge people. Rome might say, hey, we want you to, to uh, extract one denarii from every citizen in this city. Well, they would go, and they might extract ten denarii from each person and keep the other nine. And there was nothing that the people could do about it. And so these people became hated. Tax collectors were some of the most hated people in the city because they were cheats, and they were crooks, and they were swindlers. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he quotes Hosea 6, verse 6, that important passage. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to, all, to, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The, the Pharisees are attacking Jesus. They're hanging out with the wrong crowd. And Jesus says, you know what your problem is? You don't understand the nature of mercy. See, they thought mercy was helping people who need help. It's, it's a lot bigger than that. It's not just that. Mercy also includes building bridges of love to those who are unpopular. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to a party, and I'm going to party with people um, that nobody else wants to hang out with. I'm going to spend my time with people that are, that are outcasts in society, that everybody else hates, the fringe, those of ill repute, criminals, riffraff. I'm going to go to a party. Why? Because I understand mercy, and you, Pharisees, you don't. When, when was the last time you had a notorious sinner in your home? <laughs> Besides you. When was the last time you had a notorious sinner in your home? Do you have any close, unbelieving friends? If you don't, you are not like Jesus. See, here's the problem. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more people like that you are going to be friends with. Now let me just warn you, it says that when Jesus accepted Matthew's invitation, the Pharisees became indignant. Just be warned. The more you live out a life of mercy, the more political legalists and moralists are going to criticize you. They will attack you. They will get mad at you. They will say bad things about you. Why? They did it with Jesus. Why would you expect to get treated any differently than Jesus when you act like Jesus? It wasn't the sinners, the riffraff, the shady people that disliked Jesus. It was the religious people. He hung out with the wrong crowd. We should be making friends with people who are atheists. We should be making friends with people who are of different races, different religions. We should have friends who are Jewish and Mormon and Buddhists and Baptists. We, we should be friends with people who are gay. We should practice the ministry of mercy. Number seven, value relationships over rules. Now, if you're a rule keeper, a chill just ran up your back. If you're in HR and you're all about processes and procedures and policies, it's likely that you just got a facial tick. Jesus would say, put people before policies, put needs before procedures, put relationships before rules and regulations and religion. He would say, choose love over law. Romans 13, verse 10, love is the fulfillment 
of the law. Look at Matthew chapter 12. This is the other time Jesus has a run-in with the Pharisees, and he quotes that super verse in Hosea 6, verse 6. Matthew 12, verse 1. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. They are lawbreakers, is really what the Pharisees were saying. Verse 3, Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. But you should not have condemned my innocent disciples You would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy. Here it is, Hosea 6.6. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I am the Lord, even over the Sabbath. The Pharisees come and they say, look, your your disciples are, are, are breaking the Jewish law. And the Jewish law says that you can't harvest grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, but they're hungry. Don't you understand? They're they're hungry. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. He's saying, I put love before the law. I put people before procedures. I put relationships before rules and regulations and religion. And he says, you guys don't get it because you guys don't understand the meaning of mercy. So this week, here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to commit an act of premeditated mercy. Listen, if we're, if we're going to make a mistake, let's make a mistake on the side of being too merciful. Let's make a mistake on the side of being too gracious, on the side of being too forgiving, on the side of being too kind and too loving. But Brett, can, you, you can go overboard on mercy. Yeah, of course you can. Jesus did. It's called the cross. On the cross, with his arms outstretched, Jesus said, I'm doing this to be merciful. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And that is the height of mercy. He took the shame. He took the crown. He took the spear. He took the beating. He took the lashes. He took the interrogation. He took the smacks to the face. And he ultimately took spikes to his wrists and his feet and he never retaliated and he absorbed every one of the blows for us and he said father forgive them for they do not know what they do this morning jesus offers you his mercy and his forgiveness and i just wonder if you are ready to accept that i hope you are and if you are I hope that you would reach out so that we could have a conversation about what it looks like for you to receive the mercy of Christ. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, I give you thanks, first and foremost, because you have shown mercy to a sinner like me. I am am a long way from perfect, and Father, I do not deserve any of the things that you have given to me, least of all your love and your salvation. And so, Father, we are humbled We are humbled when we think about all the ways that you have shown mercy to us. And my prayer this morning is that you would help us to be like you and you would help us to reflect you and you would help us to show mercy to those 
around us. It isn't that it doesn't exist. It's more likely that we are not looking for it and we do not see it. So, Father, would you help us with that? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.